Hello and welcome to my first five years podcast. I'm Alistair Bryce Clegg. And I'm Jenny Johnson. We're early years experts and the founders of My First Five Years, an activities and child development app for parents. And the purpose of our podcast is to help you find some of the joy in parenting and ditch some of that guilt, worry and anxiety. Let's get rid of that anxiety and have some more fun. Last time we talked about gendered play and what impact it can have on our children's perception of themselves and others. So this time we're going to talk about sleep. I am really excited about this one. Me too, because it is a biggie and we know it's one of the main challenges that all parents face. So to help us out, we've enlisted our sleep expert, Lauren Peacock, and she is going to give us loads of hints and tips on how you can help your child to sleep through at all the different ages and stages of their development. And just a heads up that at the end of this episode, Lauren will have five helpful hacks around sleep for you. And plus, we've got some content in our app that support parents around things like transitioning into a bed, when you lose that second nap, and how your children manage their sleep on their day-to-day routine. So, welcome, Lauren. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Lauren, tell us a little bit more about you and the work that you've done to become a children's sleep expert. Well, first and foremost, I'm a mother of one and a former tired mama, <laughs> uh, having experienced sleep difficulties with my own little boy. Um, I'm also a child sleep specialist and the founder of Little Sleep Stars, and I help families all over the world with their little one's sleep in a way that feels comfortable and right for them. I studied via the Holistic Sleep Course, which is one of the very few sleep courses out there that is accredited by the Open College Network at Level 5. And that enables me to be sure that the information I'm giving parents is up to date, it's quality information, and it is always, always evidence-based. I think having trust in the information that you share is one of the key reasons we've asked you to join us on our podcast. We want to make sure that anybody that we put in front of our parents has, you know, that evidence base behind what they're saying. It's it's true of everything we say as well, isn't it, Alistair? Yeah, it's kind of at the heart of my first five years. So today we're going to tackle some of the questions that got sent in around sleep, which include things around routines, co-sleeping and the stresses of bedtime. And also the fact that sleep brings up loads of comparisons between parents like, is my baby sleeping through the night already? Or is your baby sleeping? That kind of accusatory thing about your baby should be. And so parents get that feeling of what we call comparanoia at my first five years. In fact, we've got a whole episode on that that's definitely worth a listen. So just have a look back through our podcast feed and search for comparanoia. And what about that really toxic question that is your child a good baby? Implying that if they don't sleep, they are a bad child or a bad baby. Well, it is very the 1950s called and asked for its question back. But (laughs) my stock response tends to be, oh, yeah, he's a great baby, apart from when he's out shoplifting, obviously. (laughs) Lauren, let's start with this question that we hear all the time from so many parents, which is, when is it normal for my baby or toddler to sleep through the night? Now, I know that's a loaded question. I ask it expecting you to tell me off for even asking it that way. Well, the term sleeping through has so much to answer for because it suggests that some children go to bed and sleep until they wake up in the morning and no human being sleeps like that. We all wake in the night multiple times. The question as to whether that waking is problematic for a family tends to come down to two things. How many times is it happening Mm -hmm. and what is a little one needing in order to go back to sleep? 
Some children naturally inclined almost from the get-go to roll over and go back to sleep and they would be referred to as sleeping through. Mm -hmm. Other children need more help and that's normal for them. Even if parents take no action at all, all children will eventually get to the stage where their inclination when they wake in the night is to roll over and go back to sleep. That makes so much sense, actually, because I wear a Fitbit at the moment and the Fitbit, when you wake up in the morning, will tell you about that night's sleep. And it never says, Jenny went to sleep at whatever time and woke up at the other. It it shows you that you sort of have the light sleep, the deeper sleep, when I'm awake. I've never thought of that before. So that, again, is just really interesting to hear you say that actually we all wake up in the night and certainly that's what my Fitbit's telling me. Mm. Absolutely. And for a child who's in bed typically longer than an adult, I would expect to see two or three or even four wake-ups on a standard night. Most of the work that I do with families is about adjusting what a little one is looking for in order to go back to sleep because there is a behavioural element to that. We Mm -hmm. can change what we look for, um, but it's not something that we always need to do. That's really fascinating, Lauren. So could you give us some examples of the sort of things you're talking about in terms of what some children do need to enable them to do that turnover and go back to sleep? So for some children, it might be that they are used to feeding back to sleep, whether they're breastfed, whether they're bottle fed. They they may have that association. I'm awake, so this is how I resettle to sleep. Some children will be patted to sleep. Some children will be rocked to sleep. Some children, it's a particular phrase that their parents say to them. It really can be anything. So one thing that I always makes me cringe is that narrative around good habits and bad habits when it comes to sleep. Okay. Unless a family's doing something that isn't safe, there's no such thing as a bad habit. So the question is, is the way in which our child's settling back to sleep, is that working for us? If it is, great. If it's not, it's okay to give yourself permission to change that. And what works might vary over the course of a child's lifetime. So just because you do something in one way now doesn't mean you're committing to doing that forever. Yeah, absolutely. And if I think just about me practically as someone that was returning to work, what I could do when I was on maternity leave started to change when I'd gone back to work and I'd find that more troublesome and more demanding to wake up and feed in the night. And definitely if I'd have had some better strategies for some sort of transition to a a different approach, that would have been good. Whereas at the time, nobody was supporting me or helping me. And I just felt that I just had to get up and feed. And I didn't cross my mind that I could be potentially a little bit more in control of that with some better strategies. And I think also there's a lot of guilt for parents and the advice they get from relatives. So I can remember the thing of, of feeding back to sleep and people saying you shouldn't do that because then they get into a habit of always being fed and then not break that habit or rocking them back to sleep. And I remember being told not to do that because if you continue to rock them, then they get used to being rocked. And it was a bit like Mission Impossible in our house, where especially <laughs> when we had three small children, yeah. where you literally rock them to sleep and then gently try and put them down and then take your hand out without them stirring. <laughs> And of course, the minute you stepped out of the room, they're like, and they're off again. So there's so much conflicting advice, which often comes from a good place around relatives. But actually, there's no science behind it. I think what's really useful in what you're saying is that those habits will change and that you're in control of trying different things and changing them. Absolutely. And babies change over time. They move forward. They develop. They're capable of more at 10 months than they were at two months, yep. as an example. So the, the two voices that tend to be the loudest in terms of giving advice, whether 
asked for or not for parents <laughs> tend to be the babies are just being babies mm-hmm. so parents have to just suck that up they have to adapt they have to live these sleepless lives where they are up multiple times per night Um, or at the other end of the scale that baby should be conditioned as early as possible to sleep like mini adults and they're not mini adults in terms of how they sleep so it's perfectly possible to adapt what you do over time feeding rocking cuddling to sleep while ever that works, but giving yourself permission if there comes a point that that needs to change, to change it, but also giving your child permission to feel however they need to feel about the fact that things are changing. They don't understand the bigger picture. They don't know yeah, that they you're don't going, know back that going back to work. Yeah. <laughs> no. So it's about choosing something that works when it works mm-hmm. and giving yourself permission as a family to make those changes. So interesting to follow on from that. We've had a question from Gemma that is about my one-year-old that will now only sleep if he is in bed with her. And is that okay? Or should she be working to get him back into his bed? Or is I think the question was actually, how do I get him out? I think she's fairly keen <laughs> yeah, that that's changed. Yeah, I, was, I was trying to soften the question slightly. <laughs> And that's always the first question. Do you want him out? Because much more of the world bed share than don't. Yes, I know. Having a separate bed or a separate room for our child is quite a Western Mm -hmm. luxury, actually. So all children who bed share will eventually move on their own. So if it's working for a family, it's fine to keep them where they are. But if maybe mum's not sleeping well or little one's not sleeping well or there's another baby on the way or parents just want to move their little one out again it's that thing of give yourself permission to make that choice but give your toddler permission to feel however they need to feel about that you've got to decide what you're doing if that's putting your little one into their own room stick with it support your child through that adjustment period expecting that there will be an adjustment period because why would a one-year-old want to move Mm -hmm. there's not a particular reason for for him to do that but it's okay to ask a toddler to do something that they don't particularly want to do it doesn't mean they're not capable of doing it it doesn't mean they won't adapt really well i think what you're saying is it has to work best for the entire family because a sleep deprived adult is not going to be the best carer that they can be if there's something they can do to change that i think also there are things we can do if we make a decision that we are going to move our one-year-old into their room, own room or whatever we do, but having some, not just doing it overnight and saying, there you are, you're in a bed now, but having really positive strategies around making it a exciting, engaging, you know, something that the child is going to buy into rather than just as something that happens to that child. Yeah, I always kind of think of it as being loving and kind. And some of the strategies that I read about just don't feel loving and kind. And it's interesting yeah. to maybe unpick that a little bit because we can't talk about sleep without going there, I don't think. No, absolutely. And we carry mammals at the end of the day. And so babies are born with a biological blueprint of how to survive. And part of that is stay close to the people who are bigger and stronger than Mm. you and can look after you. But we're also the only carry mammals who drive cars, operate machinery, go to work outside the home. So we have different demands on us, which absolutely, as you say, Alistair, might necessitate changing your sleeping arrangements at home. 
So we want to make a, a child of any age, but particularly a toddler, we want them to feel part of a team. Mm-hmm. The team gets new information, like we're going on holiday, we're moving house, you're going to be sleeping in your own room. We give them a little bit of advance warning. We don't expect them to sit there and say, brilliant, this sounds amazing, but we can still be respectful in making that change. Mm -hmm. We can talk it up a little bit in advance so that it's not a surprise when it happens. Children understand more at every age and stage than they can communicate. So tell them it's happening, whether you think they'll understand or not. Um, invest them in the process, maybe let them make some age-appropriate choice, choose some bedding, choose a special bedtime soft toy, leverage any visits from uh, family or friends to see their new room, isn't it brilliant? And when the time comes, support them until they feel comfortable sleeping in that room. A child will learn that their own bed is a really safe place to be, but that independence in sleep comes from real dependence at the start and being supported to to feel it's safe i think also and still expect that even though you've done all that groundwork and it's been really positive and through the daylight hours the child is like yes i love my room it's going to be great when it gets to bedtime there is a good chance they're going to say no you're all right now a hundred percent children are at their least adaptable at bedtime they're tired they're a toddler yeah Toddlers are not the most reasonable on their uh, in their best moments. Um, so yes, there, there might be some frustration, confusion. I want to do it in a different way. In the same way you see a toddler sometimes on the floor of the supermarket screaming because they can't have yeah. chocolate biscuits. There might be some resistance. It's not our job to take those feelings away or to tell our child that they should want what we want you might as well ask for the moon on a stick why would they and but that again doesn't mean that you can't support them to get positively to the other side of those feelings i think also for parents it's good to know that some of that is biological so the cognitive development of children they don't have the cognition to allow them to really access those higher order thinking skills of kind of reasoning and forward planning so if your child does behave in that way they're not just being obstinate they're actually functioning in a really typical way that a child of that age functions i remember when two of our boys shared a room and i think when the youngest one was about four we redid the loft at great expense and moved him in they had a fish tank and all sorts and he loved it (laughs) then the first night and for about a month afterwards every night he came back downstairs and got back into bed with his older brother it took ages eventually he was fine with it and loved it Uh, but at the time it was you know it was a difficult process because it was a transition it was awkward it is and transitions are tricky and one of the ways that children get better at handling those feelings of frustration, confusion, um, disappointment is by feeling them in a way that is safe and resolves positively. So it's supporting our children through those those big feelings and through those tricky moments that actually starts to help them over time as their brain develops to build some resilience to, to deal with those situations. All right, Lauren, so I've done all my prep. I've got my child excited about their new room. She's picked some bedding. She's picked a bedside lamp and she's got a favourite teddy ready to go. What do I do next? So bedtime comes around, run through your normal bedtime routine in full. That helps children to feel secure, even though their sleep environment has changed. And if you normally put your child down and leave, then I would assume to do the same thing. If you don't, I would stay like you normally do. If you normally leave but your child says, 
will you stay while I fall asleep? Absolutely, I would stay and provide that support. Mm -hmm. We always want to meet a child at their point of need and then start to work back from there. So I wouldn't engage in too much coaxing, cajoling, certainly not forcing, bribing a child to stay in bed. Mm -hmm. I would sit with them. I'd be really clear on what you are and aren't going to do so they understand where those boundaries are. So I'm going to sit right here, sweetheart, until you fall asleep. We can hold hands if you like. You're not going to get stuck there as some parents fear. If you sit with your child for the first few nights and then you start to think about, could I do a little bit less touch? Could I make my hand hold a pat or a stroke? Could I sit slightly further away? Parents will find that really quite quickly their child is comfortable staying where they are and they will be able to start popping out of the room, not in a timed scary way where they feel they're fighting the urge to support but in a really organic natural way where their child knows whether I can see mommy or daddy they're around they come back and I'm completely safe I think that's really important as well that you say eventually I'm going to go but I will come back and check that you do come back and check because I mean I made that promise you know to my boys various times over when they were little and then they would come and find you and say you said you were going to come back Absolutely. And even if all is quiet, I would absolutely go back and then reinforce if your child is asleep in the morning, I came back to check on you last night and you were asleep with a big smile on your face or however you want to, to phrase it. Common approaches tend to tell us to get them settled and then try and sneak out like a ninja right before they fall asleep. I actually find with toddlers, the exact opposite works better. Settle them down, go for a very short period, come back, stay until they're asleep. If they're okay with that, you'll find really quickly you can build up how long you're out for or how many times you go out. And the other thing I've seen that be really effective is using during daylight hours toys to role play the sleep routine. So as an adult and a child, you're talking about you know whoever Teddy or Dolly or Action Man is going to bed. And what you can then do is reinforce all of the positives around your the bedtime routine. And you're right, making them really familiar with its teeth and then it's story then we get into bed and then you know comes back and checks and that removes it from the moment of being bedtime and also just puts it into the world of imagination which is more comfortable for a lot of children absolutely and i think role play is a really good way to bring out any anxieties that a child has about the process they're much more likely to tell you teddy is scared of the dark than they are to articulate it themselves so role play is a really great tool even with slightly older children where it can feel a little bit condescending a visual bedtime timetable can really really help it shows them what's coming next it makes them feel secure in the process so what about those parents who get children into their beds and the children then consistently get out of the bed and the parent gets to the point where, and we've heard a lot of this uh, my first five years, where parents will then do things like put up a stair gate across the bedroom door. So you've got potentially a child who's very emotionally upset and anxious and parents think they're doing the best thing by keeping them in the space. So the first thing to always look at is, is a child developmentally capable of overriding the impulse to get out of bed? Typically, we see between about two and a half and three where that level of impulse control is developing. Mm -hmm. So if a child much younger than that is in a bed and they're repeatedly getting up, there's a chance actually that's quite stressful for them because they're not even deliberately doing it. They're not doing it to be defiant. it's knee-jerk. They can't stop themselves. So trying to force that child to stay in bed or 
persuade them to stay in bed, you might as well ask them to knit with soup. They're not (laughs) developmentally able to, to make that choice. So it's about removing the incentive to get up, really. So that's not being cross or mean about them getting up. It's about removing as much stimulation as you can from their room, being on hand to return them, not in a a way that is really exciting. It's functional. We're not robotic. Um, We're calm. We're responsive. Back to bed, sweetheart. Back to bed. Stairgates can have a place in the sense of some parents will find that if they put a stair gate on and they sit in the room with their child or they sit right on the other side of the stair gate effectively turning the whole room into a large sleep space that will help if you've got a child who is making a game of bolting out the door Mm -hmm. and there's a world of difference between putting in that safe physical containing limit with parental support and a child feeling that they are being forced, yeah, separated from a parent. Bedroom, yeah. And that also makes very negative emotional attachment to the bedroom space. And we want to keep that as positive as we possibly can. Absolutely. We want children not to need parental support in the night because they wake up and they're genuinely secure and confident and happy yeah. and able to return themselves back to sleep. That's such a consistent message across so many different elements of child development, isn't Absolutely. it? That, that relationship with parent and the trust that they're going to be there yeah and it's the the feeling secure in whatever it is from like we talked about last time with nutrition through to sleep it's about children feeling secure with that development and the transitions can be difficult but we've got a really valuable role to play as parents in supporting those transitions You've just really triggered a, a memory in me of trying to put a sleeping child down to bed. I was fairly unsuccessful at it, actually. So I would love to know, Lauren, what would have been, if you were chatting to me that night, what would you have told me I could try? So you can experiment with how long they're asleep before you put them down. Sometimes if you put them down quite quickly, that can help. Other times if you wait until they've been asleep for about 20 minutes, they'll be in a deeper part of their sleep cycle Weirdly, if you try and roll your baby down, so you put them down almost feet first and support them to roll back rather than a horizontal transfer, that can help. Um, For some children, the transfer is always problematic, in which case I think about, can we avoid the transfer? Can we settle our child to sleep in some sort of accessible sleep space so that we can move Mm -hmm. rather than the little one being lowered down? But if we are lowering them, if we can avoid lowering them backwards, that tends to be the most successful. Once they're down, keep a hand on them, on their chest with a little bit of pressure, not pinning them to the bed, but that reassuring, I'm here, long, slow shushes until the twitching and moving stops Mm -hmm. and you've got the best chance there of them staying asleep through that transition brilliant lauren we mentioned bed sharing and i know that again can sometimes be a controversial topic so how do we make sure that we do it safely So bed sharing is a super controversial topic. It's one of those things that works really, really well for some families. I've done it. I've done it and I'm a fan of it, but I appreciate it's not for everybody. And the vast majority of families have. Mm -hmm. And actually, for a long time, the advice was don't do it. Have your baby in a cot. And there has been a recognition in recent years in the official guidance that when parents are told categorically not to do it, often what happens is reactive bed sharing in circumstances that would be less safe Mm -hmm. than planned 
bed sharing. Yeah. So Basis Online, they have some really good resources, the Lullaby Trust and the NHS. That will brief parents on circumstances in which it's never considered safe to bed share if a baby has a risk factor. But for other families, it enables informed choices around whether bed sharing might be the right option for that particular right. family. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, I chose to... I did bed share the because I went back to work full time and I had one that wouldn't sleep. But I actually just flipped my mentality about it. I was like, she was my third by then. So I was like, it's not going to happen again. So I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> She's like a little cuddly teddy bear. And we were really open to bed sharing, actually. Yeah. And our little boy didn't want to do wouldn't it. go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I always did it in phases. Third one did it more than the yeah. other two. And I think the most annoying thing about bed sharing for us was... Mm. There are some lovely moments, but you do when they starfish and you literally are clinging on to the very end of the bed or they wake you up because they're kicking you in the back and that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's not all romance. It's not all yeah. romance, but I think yeah. for us, we didn't we didn't proactively try and get our boys. We didn't start the night with them in the bed. Yeah, they would come into the bed at some point. Yeah, and then usually. Uh, they would be in the bed when we woke up but mm. there's a time when they just stopped doing that we didn't mm. have to do anything proactive and we were happy enough to have that happen we we tried with crib and then cot but what I'm saying is that when she wouldn't settle it, I wasn't averse to having her here and um, both I think it depends if you like because feed breastfed so there'd be times when you would they would feed to sleep and mm. she would fall asleep mm-hmm. so she would wake up at some points having been asleep with the baby um, but it wasn't a conscious decision that I'm going to bed share with my newborn baby. Because I think yeah. some families think we're not doing a cot, we're not doing a Moses basket, we're going to have the baby in the bed, mm-hmm. which is slightly different to when your kids yeah. get, or the crying, 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 you bring them into bed because you're so knackered and then you fall asleep. So there are lots of different versions of bed sharing. So you've obviously got your children who are older and choose to come and climb into bed with you and you just don't kick them out. There are times when you might go and retrieve a crying baby and end up sharing a bed with them but what about those really newborn babies well the advice remains that the safest place for a baby in the first year is on a firm flat waterproof surface and the easiest place to create a safe sleep space for a baby is in their own cot if we're bringing young babies in we are looking at avoiding the typical western setup of a soft mattress uh, certainly not having any loose covers it's not something to do in a reactionary way it has to be a a positive choice and a well prepared for choice one thing we haven't covered yet is sleep for brand new newborn babies and i remember coming home from hospital walking through the front door shutting the front door behind me and thinking now what and i also remember vividly that very first night where i actually sat up and watched her all night (laughs) just to make sure she was breathing but what would you do with those very early routines and and also those crazy expectations of how quickly children should be sleeping through and I know we've already covered that term sleeping through but what advice would you give those new parents? The first thing I would say is no one is prepared when they come home from hospital. We all do antenatal classes, we read books but actually there's so much focus on the arrival of baby into the world and seemingly not a huge amount about what happens thereafter. So when little ones are first born, they can lull us into a false sense of security. The first night, often, they sleep. No wonder they're exhausted. Well, indeed. (laughs) They've just been through it. Everybody's exhausted. (laughs) Um, And then you get them home, and the second night can be a really different 
uh, a different scenario. So the first six weeks or so, sometimes a little bit less, sometimes a little bit longer, is likely to be grueling with a little one. They don't know when night and day is. They are born with this blueprint of how to survive, which tells them to feed really frequently, drive up mum's milk supply, even if they're formula fed. They don't know that. So they feed really frequently and they're awake every hour or two around mm-hmm. the clock. The first thing that parents can do is help a child to build some circadian rhythm because they don't come with that ready made. Yeah. So we're looking at a 12 hours of daytime set up, a 12 hours of nighttime. They're not going to sleep for 12 hours, spoiler. Um, <laughs> but you can start to craft that it's different from seven or eight o'clock at night it's calmer it's quieter take any help that you can get in Mm -hmm. those early weeks because we are not designed to raise children the way we raise them in the 21st century we're supposed to have a tribe we're supposed to have people that will hold the baby take turns hold the parents so take those offers of help um, and know that that initial period is grueling but it does improve mm-hmm. often somewhere around the two month mark again it will vary either side babies tend to know when night is they start to take one longer chunk of sleep it might not be as long as your friend's babies but you tend to start to see a sleep yeah. pattern mm-hmm. forming um, and actually you can again then be lulled into another false sense of security because often you get quite a settled period until round about four months when babies have what people call a regression it's not it's a huge progression Mm -hmm. they stop sleeping like teeny tiny newborns and sleep like the rest of us and it's great news because they become safer in their sleep they do start to cycle like we do they do start to wake up and that's when you start to see this pattern of of night waking typically becoming more more established and that's when people are talking about things like I've got them into a routine, I've got them into a habit. And again, you, it, very early on, you're thinking, well, probably not, because no routine or habit tends to last that long when it comes to sleep. Indeed. And really young babies aren't even capable of forming habits. So you cannot, cannot spoil a new baby. Babies are shaping their brain and their understanding of the world based on those interactions they have with their primary caregivers. We want them to know the world's a safe place. That early period, that first three months, four months, it's about rest, recovery. You know, you've all been through um, something to get them into the world. So rest, recover, bond with your baby, and then start to think about establishing a bedtime routine. That can always really help. The earlier you start it, the earlier it starts to look like a bedtime routine to a little one. Um, But go with the flow a little bit and know that it changes dramatically over that first six months and have realistic expectations that actually the science is quite clear about human development and it's actually tradition and myth and society that gives us this very skewed version of the good baby who will sleep through and that you are not necessarily a good parent if your baby isn't doing that Oh, 100%. I think it's always worth bearing in mind as well that quite a lot of the literature we have around sleep comes from countries like the US where mums get, I think it's four weeks maternity leave. You know, there's a real cultural pressure there on babies sleeping to to conform to an adult sleep pattern. Babies sleep differently to to adults. It's how they're designed. They have different needs. They're growing, they're developing, and and their sleep changes rapidly like the rest of them, really. 
I love what you said earlier about regression isn't regression, it's progression and changing that mindset and changing the understanding yeah, that actually, absolutely. although it might be a little bit more difficult in the short term, it is something to celebrate because it's part of the journey that's taking you where you want to get to. Absolutely. There, there are no regressions. When sleep gets bumpy, it's only ever because a baby is progressing, moving forward. Often they're mastering a new skill or they're moving forward in terms of their cognitive development. They're never, ever going backwards. It'll be no surprise to know that I would now like five hacks because we tend to always finish that way. So Lauren, five hacks for promoting good sleep in the early years. Number one, have a rhythm to your day. I'm not a fan of really strict timed schedules, but little ones do thrive on predictability. So keeping meal times broadly consistent, bedtime broadly consistent will help a child's body clock to anchor. And that's helpful when it comes to sleep. Number two, have well-balanced daytime sleep. Children do need to nap, typically until about the third birthday or shortly after. We don't want too much sleep late in the day or a huge nap just after they get up. Understanding what a little one is likely to need in terms of their daytime sleep will really help them sleep well at night. Number three, focus on the last hour of the day. That's a period for really winding down. And really important is that a child feels anchored and connected to parents ahead of going to sleep. It's a huge period of separation for them. So focusing on that last hour of the day tends to make for easier bedtimes and more restful sleep. Number four, have a simple and positive bedtime routine. Children of all ages benefit from this. 30 to 40 minutes is typically optimal. The same steps in the same order at round about the same time every day. And number five, do what works for you, which as we've talked about, might change over time. Lauren, you mentioned napping there and I think we'd like to pull that out into a small separate episode. Just too much to fit into one. So just search napping in our podcast feed and we can dive a little bit deeper into that subject. So all that leaves to say is thank you ever so much, Lauren. That has been absolutely fascinating and I've loved the really practical takeaways that you've given our listeners. Yeah, thanks so much, Lauren. That's been brilliant. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening today. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard and want to learn more, you can join our Facebook community and all you have to do is search my first five years all written out on Facebook. And on the weeks in between these podcasts, we'll be doing Q&As on our social media. So if you've got any questions you want to ask, send them in and we'll do our very best to answer them. You can find more tips around sleep and the different stages of development, plus advice on what to do for a good night's sleep at My First Five Years app. And you can download that from the App Store. Remember, you can get this podcast direct to your feed by pressing the follow button in your Apple Podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. Just press follow. And don't forget to rate, review and follow My First Five Years. Whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or another platform, it all really helps. We'll see you next time. Thank you.